Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Devraga Personal Finance and this is episode 60. In this episode, the topic is going to be picking a real estate agent, a systematic approach. Now, in this episode, we'll discuss further some of the key elements to consider before picking the right real estate agent when it comes to selling your property. Australians love property. It is our dream to own property, and hopefully multiple properties. And I know some of you that have already contacted me um asking for, you know, specific tips, etc. I know many of you have multiple properties and at some stage you may want to consider offloading those properties to make a profit. So this episode might come in handy for those people. Picking the right real estate agent can really make or break your sale. The market at present, particularly in Melbourne, is really picking up. Melbourne sales are predicted to grow double digits next year. Now if that's true, that's just a crazy growth uh coming up in the next sort of you know 12 to 24 months and of course this is all just speculation now before we embark on some of the basic tips about picking the right real estate agent particularly when it comes to selling your property let's revise why we're here why are we listening to this podcast episode and podcast channel in general this channel is all about educating oneself about personal finances in my humble opinion there are five steps to building long-term sustainable wealth Step 1, the pay yourself concept. Always try and save up to 20% of after-tax income. Now, you may not be able to save 20% of your after-tax income initially. That's okay. If you've got debts, then obviously pay that off, but if you can only save 5% or 10%, that's okay. The aim here is to start saving something and then building it up to that 20%, which seems to be the magic figure when you read the literature in the financial world. Now if you're really interested in fire, I've done an episode on fire, which is financial independence retiring early. Um and essentially those people tend to save of after-tax income of 50 to 70%. Now certainly when I was much younger, single, independent, uh working as a junior doctor, um you know, I would be saving 50 to 70% in my elder years and older years um you know having kids family other commitments it's you know sometimes quite difficult to save 70% I have managed to save more than 20% for sure in recent times but the aim is to try and build it up to at least 20% of after tax income and pay yourself take that money and give it to yourself now step 2 what do you do with that money well you invest it you invest it in property you invest it in the share market preferably broadly diversified index funds which very very low fees but the key here is to do something with that money don't put it in the savings account because essentially if you did you know you're going to be losing money step 3 you will get dividends when you invest in property you will get dividends when you invest in the share market so when you get dividends you always reinvest the dividends okay you don't you know cash it out 
you don't spend it, you reinvest it into that portfolio. Step number four, always invest for the long term, at least 20 years in my opinion, but really we really want to crank it up to 30 or 40 plus years. If you're going to be investing for 40 plus years, you really need to be starting in your 20s. Um, although if you're going to be thinking about working till you're 70, then you can probably start in your 30s. But the whole point of this is to achieve financial independence and try and retire or have the ability to retire or actually choose to work less earlier in your life so you don't have to work full-time till you're 70. Certainly that's not my aim, okay? I love my job, but I want some flexibility in my job. I want to be able to work less and still have the same lifestyle in my older years. And step five, my favorite, always try and automate everything. Automate this process. The chances are if you did that, you are going to be making less mistakes and you're going to have less temptations to touch that money and you're going to have you know, more friction because you're going to have to actually disrupt the automation process to try and access the money that you've built up. So if you did all these five steps, likely you're going to be ending up with more wealth than you can ever imagine in your retirement. Now remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness, but it gives you options for your own life. But more importantly, it allows you to help others. Now, today's main topic, picking the right real estate agent when selling your property. Now, this was a question asked to me by Kawa Nguyen. So shout out to you, Kawa. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast episode and also subscribing to this channel um, and also subscribing to my Devraga Personal Finance Facebook page. If you're not sure about that, uh, basically you try and search for it on Facebook. Um, it's a free Facebook page. I've got you know a few members on there that are interested in sharing some resources, commenting, etc. But, you know, mainly it's me posting articles or topics of interest. And of course, these episodes go on there as well. And interesting financial tidbits from time to time. It's a place for discussion for anyone. It's free. It'll always be free. So join up if you're interested. So thank you very much for Kawa Nguyen for this particular topic suggestion. Now, selling your home, why is choosing the right real estate agent important? Now, there are some obvious things here. Selling your home is a very emotional decision and can be quite a confronting experience, okay? Now, personally, I've actually never sold a home, my own home, okay? So, but I have had properties sold in my family. In other words, you know, as a young child, as a teenager, you know, my family have bought and sold homes that we've lived in. Um, so, you know, it was a relatively difficult experience to go through, particularly where a home or a house where you grew up in, you lived in, you stayed in, you enjoyed, you had fun, all those memories, uh, you know, all of that basically, you know, is gone because suddenly the house now belongs to someone else. Uh, you know, I've had experiences in selling homes, uh, you know, in our family through auctions and basically one minute. The auction starts and uh, you own the home and then the hammer goes down and that's it. The house is sold. So it can be a very emotional experience. Now, remember, finances is largely behavioral. So we're trying to you know, eliminate the risk of emotional financial mistakes. So let's put that aside here. Let's just talk about homes and real estate agents and achieving the best price when it comes to selling your home. Now, the difference between a good agent and a bad agent is um, 
can not only be tens of thousands of dollars, but it can also destroy your confidence in building a property portfolio. If that's the sort of strategy that you're going to be using, buy and selling properties or flipping properties and selling them and try and make a living out of it and therefore make a retirement income out of it, a bad experience with a real estate agent often sticks to you for life, okay? Now, in the last 10 years, if you have a look at what's happened in terms of you know, how we sell properties today than perhaps even 10 years ago, it's not just paper ads anymore. Um, you know, I, I remember growing up, I used to love looking at the real estate um, paper ads for all the properties that are listed in uh, the little booklet that would come with your weekend newspaper. And I used to go through the properties, read the descriptions and try and analyze the, um, you know, the, um, uh, the markets. Um, and this is, this is back as a child when I was in Adelaide. And that's how they used to do it back then because the internet wasn't really, you know, that uh, pronounced. If you have a look at what's happened in the last 10 years, it's not just paper ads. It is online ads. It's not even just online ads anymore. We have Twitter. We have social media um, like Facebook. We have uh, YouTube to contend with, okay? So the agent must understand what digital suites they are, uh, they have access to in order to utilize and maximize for the ad campaign. Um, so that's an absolute um, priority in today's world of selling property. Now, I was just sort of looking at the way I receive ads. Um, you know, I get email, email ads from various real estate agents. I'm part of their email list. Uh, I also get ads on Facebook, targeted ads from various real estate agents who've created a targeted ad campaign for particularly high-end properties. Uh, and also, if you have a look at YouTube, a lot of real estate agents are now putting in videos on YouTube and embedding them on the real estate um, uh, websites, uh, like realestate.com.au or domain or um, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, they're trying to use paper, online, Facebook, Twitter, social media, and try and achieve more eyes on the property that you're trying to sell. So if you have a real estate agent that's got a very good social media platform and, you know, estate agents now are commenting on YouTube videos, on Facebook comments, etc., etc. So there is a lot of opportunity to get more eyes for your property. And of course, the more eyes that are garnered on your property that is for sale, then the likelihood is there is more interest and if there's more interest generated the likelihood is that you are going to get a higher price, okay? Um, so it's the old concept of getting people through the doors to sell your product, in this case, the product being your home. So here are the top tips, okay, from our research. Obviously, the cost of selling your home, the price of selling your home, okay? Not the actual sale price of the house, but the commission which is charged is an important consideration. Now, from my research, the commission is different based on uh, real estate agents, based on states, based on cities, based on regional versus metro areas, uh, you know, remote areas and rural areas. Um, but, you know, in my view, like all things in life, don't always go for the cheapest option uh, because the cheapest option is not always the best option, okay? Just like if you buy a product that's very cheap from, you know, uh, from your local electronics store that's made overseas and they may not be using the right parts, um, you know, yeah, there are some things you go for cheapest, but when it comes to selling your home, your prized possession, this is all your blood and sweat that you've, you know, spent your own money and your, and your tears and joy, etc. You want to get the best out of that sale as much as possible. 
So make sure you understand the total fees, okay? So is the fees a percentage of the sale price? Uh, does the sale price, you know, do they, you know, cheekily add on the stamp duty price to it? And so that is the total sale price, okay? So you need to ask out and watch out for these specific questions. Is it a flat fee? I know there are some real estate agents that offer a flat fee when it comes to selling property. Um, and I think Purple Bricks was one of those companies that used to do this. And I think in Australia, correct me if I'm wrong, Purple Bricks is not doing too well. In fact, I think they're probably going to close or have already closed. I'm not sure, which is a European company that came came down here and said, no, no, we're going to change and change the way that we do business and change the real estate. They were a real disruptor by offering flat fee for selling your property, but I don't know how that sort of turned out. I don't think, from last I've read, it turned out very well. Is the GST included in the commission or is it excluding GST? So these are all nitty-gritties that you need to specifically ask the real estate agent and specifically have it in writing. If it's not in writing, then it didn't happen. There's a real, you know, terminology in, in medicine, uh, which is, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a doctor, and basically they say that if you see a patient and the patient says something, and you don't write it down, it didn't happen. You've got no recourse to go back and say the patient said this, or I did this, etc. Everything has to be documented. Um, now, is the total fees inclusive of the ad campaign? Um, is it inclusive of the inspection fees? Um, is it inclusive of other fees um, that might be hidden in there? You need to ask that specific question, because there might be the total commission from the sale, plus the advertisement fees. Remember, the real estate agents uh, will be contracting those services out to external providers. And some real estate agents are very open and say, we don't make any buck out of it. But there are some real estate agents that do make a buck out of it. Okay, So you need to be aware and, and have an itemized costs. Now, the other discussion point is about what price you want to sell your house um, in Victoria, and I think this is not true in all states, so if you're Victorian, this applies to you, there is something called a statement of information. The Real Estate Institute of Victoria have stipulated that all properties that are sold in Victoria must have a statement of information. And in that statement of information, there are some critical information. That is a price range or a single price that the estimated sale price the real estate agent realistically expects the price to, uh, sorry, realistically expects the property to sell for. And there are also other things like, um, you know, the three most recent sales of comparable properties within the last three to six months. Now, when you place that range, you've got to ask the real estate agent, what is the strategy here? Okay. Let me give you an example. Because I'm constantly on the lookout for property and I'm constantly, you know, looking at the prices and trying and do market evaluations. That's my interest um, in addition to investing in the share market, etc., etc. But right? if you see a property and it's got a statement of information that's got a range, a price range. Okay, recently I saw a property and, you know, the price range was, you know, 2 million to 2.2 million. Okay, now... When I really dug into the real estate agent, um, when I really asked them, okay, look, my, my general sort of strategy here is if I say to them, look, you want two to 2.2 million. Supposing I paid you cash of 2.1 million for this property, right now, today, I'll give you a check. Will you sell the property? If the real estate agent um, hesitates and says, no, you know, come into the office, we'll have a discussion, or no, the vendor wants to go to auction, then you kind of get a bit of a hint 
to sort of say, well, they know the property is probably worth towards the higher end of that range, okay? So really, if you're going to set a range, your buyer, who's really serious, is going to come in somewhere in the middle. Now, there are some buyers who will lowball the property. He'll say, no, for a $2 million property, they'll say, I'll pay $1.6 million. Now, in my view, you know, my time is worth, you know, worth X amount of dollars per hour. I'm going to be wasting time, uh, the real estate agent's time and my time to try and negotiate a price, which I think is not fair value for that property. There's no point. I mean, the real estate agent's not going to say, yeah, sure, we've advertised it for 2 to $2.2 Come on in. I'll sell it to you for $1.5 million. They're not going to say that. So I don't lowball people for no reason. Um, but I sort of test it out. Then I get other people to ring up on my behalf, people that I know and trust, um, to so I get a bit of a feel. And of course, you know, the real estate agent probably shouldn't, um, you know, know that we're sort of all kind of related. But, you know, there are some other buyers out there who are interested and, and they may be able to willing that share information because you need to be able to test that, Okay. Um, and as far as I'm aware, there's no sort of law against it. You can ring up and inquire about a property. It is up to the real estate agent to give you the answer or not. They can't lie to you. Um, and, you know, most real estate agents are honest, truth, hardworking people. But, of course, they are the vendor's agent. They don't have your interest as a buyer in hand. So if you're a vendor and you are trying to price your property, if you're expecting $2.2 million dollars, then my suggestion, you know, realistically speaking, is rather than price it at 2 to 2.2, you might want to price it at 2.1 to 2.3 because the buyers who are serious are probably going to make that offer right in the middle and you'll take that chance and you sort of sell it straight away. Otherwise, they're going to be low-board, you're going to be wasting four weeks of campaign money, etc. Um, you know, you want to sell your property as quickly as possible at the highest price, but you want to get the highest price that's realistic. You know, you not you don't want to be getting high prices and be really, really unrealistic about it. So you need to ask your real estate agent, okay, if you're going to put a range, then what is the strategy for that range? Okay, each real estate agent will have their own strategy. Of course, they are the experts uh, and you need to ask that question. How are you going to strategize your price range for this property? Now, correct me if I'm wrong. And if you live in other states, I don't think it's a rule that they need to have a statement of information. But if I'm wrong, please comment at the Facebook page or at the CastBox comments page uh, because I'll be really interested to find out how it works in other states. I live in Melbourne, uh, in Victoria, and that is certainly the rule here. Now, number two, decide the method of sale. Okay, is it for auction? Is it a for sale? Is it an expression of interest? An expression of interest is different to for sale. Okay, or is it a what's called a stealth sale? So don't forget to include the auction fees. If you're going to go with auction, they have to get an auctioneer to do the actual auction and bidding and monitoring, and they have two or three people on the floor, you know, trying to get and trying to get as much bids as possible. These people have fees associated with them. Is that included in the cost of the of the uh, commission fees that the real estate agent's going to charge? I suspect not, because the commission is just on the sale price. There are some other fixed expenses like advertising and auctioneer fees, etc. What about home staging? Does a real estate agent have a uh, source of home staging um, companies that are able to come and have a look at your property and say, okay, we're going to stage this home and give the home a bit of a feel because a lot of homes nowadays are staged. This can be quite expensive and there are companies that do it for you. And the real estate agent has special deals with these companies. So it's important to ask them, okay, well, which company do you use? Who do you suggest? 
because you know some staging companies don't have access to you know victorian architectural furniture whatever it is okay so if you've got a contemporary house you don't want to be putting in old furniture to stage it you know you want to have modern furniture for example if you've got a french provincial home then you want to have something a bit more historic inside your house okay it's probably worthwhile at this stage um to sort of read up on what's called a Genman approved agent. And I don't know if Genman approved agents exist in other states. And again, I'd be very curious to find out. So perhaps if you know about this, contact me. A Genman approved agent, basically, they have a very specific way of selling property. Often they're for sale um, and often they're not auctions. Um, Neil Genman was a real estate agent turned consumer advocate to ensure the consumer or the seller is taken um, to the best care, but also the buyer as well. So that, that's called a Genman approved real estate agent. It's like a method of sale. And he's actually written a book about it, uh, which I haven't read, but I've sort of read sort of the blurb and summaries of it, which seems very interesting. Avoid free agent recommendation sites. Now, you'll see a lot of these free agent recommendation sites, um, almost always, it's not free. Okay, usually what happens is the agents that advertise or get recommendations from these sites are not very busy, so they advertise on these sites and they have this sort of, you know, free no obligation quote or, you know, we'll, we'll do it all for free and we'll only charge if we're going to sell the house, etc. But it usually means these agents are not very good. Uh, again, I'm generalizing here. If you're a real estate agent uh, listening to this podcast, you're probably horrified, um, but they're probably looking for extra work. They're probably... A little bit inexperienced, um, and they pay a portion of the uh, commissions to the sites that they advertise in. So it's free to you, but it's not free to them. Nothing is free in this world, by the way. Um, so this just means that you may not be getting the best value for your buck, and often inexperienced or less busy agents are probably hunting around for extra work. Uh, now, in my view, if the agent's not on fire when it comes to selling property, then they would be seeking work, hence. Such sites make commissions out of directing work to such agents. So I think those sort of sites are probably not a great strategy in general. Now, if you're selling your property, you need to have a bit of a strategy before you meet with the real estate agents, you know, um, about who your target audience is, okay? So what is the target audience for your property? For example, is it an upmarket suburb? Is it a large land? Is it a large home suitable for, you know, usually, you know, large families or wealthy families in a nice suburb, etc.? You know, this compared to an apartment sale, which is usually more for singles or couples or small families. Um, and you've got to think about city versus country dwellers. All of this makes a difference. You need to have a bit of an idea about who your target audience is. And if you don't know who your target audience is, then you need to ask that question to the real estate agent. Hey, who is my target audience? And how are you going to achieve you know, maximizing the eyes for my property for this target audience, okay? Completely pointless trying to sell a million-dollar home to, you know, young people who don't have a job uh, or people that don't have a job. I shouldn't say young people, you know. I'm not, I'm not an ageist, sorry. Um, so what I mean is you need to target your property to appropriate audiences, otherwise it's just completely pointless. Once you figure out your target audience, then you need to evaluate if the agent knows the target audience as well, how they're going to position your property for that target audience. You need to ask this question. That's a very important question, okay? Now, does the agent know or think that your property needs minor renovations or staging or styling? Now, the agent really should be providing you with that advice. And if they don't, I'd be a bit worried, but you should ask them, hey, do I need to fix this cupboard that's a bit loose before I sell this house? Is that going to be worth 
the money that I'm going to be spending to fix it. Um, so again, generally speaking, if you're selling homes, staging it and fixing the kitchen or the bathroom or the main living areas, it might actually be worth it. It might actually bring in um, you know, more buyers. Um, and I, you know, certainly if I'm going to be knocking down a home, then I'm a buyer. I'm going to be knocking down a house. I'm not going to be interested in that. I'm going to be looking for a dump to pull down. But if I'm a young family that's looking to upgrade my home and I want to go buy your house and your house is in a beautiful condition, I don't have to actually do anything to it, then that's great. That's money well spent for you in terms of renovation costs, etc. So you need to ask that question. You need to also ask about specific market data. Now, you can actually ask your bank for this. A lot of these banks provide free market advice and free market data. Uh, I know my bank does, my personal uh, banker um, often emails me a list of current sales or the mar- property market trends. But a lot of this is information that's freely available. If you just Google median home price in your particular suburb, there's a lot of stats that's freely available. And there are subscription services that you can subscribe to that you get detailed breakdown. Uh, pretty much everything that a real estate agent has, you can probably pay for it these days because you know data is paramount. Data is really important. Um, and analysis of that data is really important as well. And you need to get the market data from the real estate agent that's particularly tailored towards your local market. You know, data doesn't lie and helps make informed decisions. Um, So you have to have some sort of a structured approach to analyzing that data before making a decision on the particular real estate agent. If the real estate agent is a bit coy and not giving you full transparency in terms of the data about current sales versus their performance versus generic performance, then, you know, what have they got to hide? That's a problem. You want an open, honest real estate agent that's transparent. Remember, the real estate agent is working for you, the vendor, to get the best price for your property. They are not working for the buyer. Um, Well, that certainly should be the case. If you've got a real estate agent that's working for the buyer, that's a problem. (coughs) Beg your pardon. The real estate agent should have some local area knowledge. It's absolute madness, in my view, to pick a real estate agent who doesn't live locally, or at least doesn't work consistently in your local area. Now, you will see a lot of real estate agents say, no, we sell property all over Melbourne. Well, that's a problem. You know, that means you just spread your wings too far. Whereas if you said, we sell a property within, you know, 20 kilometers of this particular real estate agency, which is located in a particular suburb in Melbourne, that kind of makes sense. How can you be an expert in every single area of a city like Melbourne, which is a sprawling metropolis? So you need to make sure that the local real estate agent has local knowledge. That's really, really important. Here are the stats, and this is why it's really important. 58% of buyers are looking to buy within five kilometers of their existing property. Okay? And 91% of buyers are looking to buy within 40 kilometers of existing property. So an agent who knows your area can position your property in pole position when it comes to sales. So, what do they need to know? They need to know the local demographics. What is the age, the gender uh, uh, you know, distribution? Is it families? Is it singles? Is it families with children? Is it, uh, you know, baby boomers? Is it uh, retirees? Or is it someone in their 40s and 50s that are going to be living in your house and therefore in that particular suburb? Is it a very established suburb, etc.? They need to know who the buyers are in that local market. And that goes to show uh, a little bit correlation with the demographics of that population. 
they need to know what properties are currently being sold in that market at the moment. So let me give you an example. If you went to a real estate agent and you've got a thousand square meter beautiful land with a beautiful house on it, um, and that particular agent has currently got something very similar on the market, then you've got to be a bit wary because, well, hang on, your property is in direct competition to the property that he or she is currently selling for another vendor. So either you wait until the other house gets sold or passed in or whatever and then list your property, or you go to another real estate agent because you don't want to be going to the same real estate agent who has a conflict of interest, okay? So you need to know who the current sellers are, what's available in the market. Really important to know what is the current infrastructure and how that's going to change in the future and how that will affect house prices. So let me give you an example. There's this big debate in Melbourne at the moment about building the Northeast Link. Now, for some homes and some suburbs, that's a gold mine. That's going to increase their property value because you're going to have direct freeway access from the eastern freeway all the way to the northern roads, okay, which is the northern suburbs, because at the moment there is no direct link. You've got to go via, you know, Bullion Road and all this sort of maze of roads and arterials at the moment. But it also means that some of the houses that are going to be very close to this freeway are going to have road noise. So their property prices are probably going to be less. So it would be worthwhile that real estate agents kind of know what's coming up in terms of infrastructure. And of course, as a seller and also a buyer, if you're listening to this podcast, you need to do that sort of due diligence. Most of the time in your Section 32s that you create, you need to declare any interest for Vic Roads because Vic Roads often have plans to expand or, you know, get rid of roads, for example. So if your property is going to be directly affected, as a lot of properties are going to be affected if they go ahead with this northeast link, then obviously you want to get rid of your property today then rather than wait till you know, another five years when a property market crashes because it's right next to the freeway due to the trucking noise, etc., etc. Okay. So infrastructure, really important. I'll give you another example how infrastructure has made a big difference in Melbourne. Uh, we've got a Labor state government at the moment who has uh, basically changed the dynamic of the railway crossings, okay? So for some odd reason in Melbourne, when they built the railway networks, most of the suburbs had rail links on the road, which means we had actually rail crossings. And I remember as a teenager trying to cross that Springwell Road rail crossing. I don't know if you're listening from Melbourne, if you remember that, that was just a nightmare. Now, can you imagine that happening today? That, that railway crossing has now gone for over, I think, 10 or 15 years. So the government is basically demolishing all these railway crossings and building them underground or overground, etc. So if you happen to be living in an area where this is happening and that's, you know, your railway crossing has now become underground, that's great. That reduces pollution around your home, that reduces traffic, it reduces noise, and it may increase your property value because the traffic just flows much, much better. So that's made a big difference. And I think they're doing about 50 or 60 railway crossing removals over a period of a number of years. And I think they've done about 20 or 30, I can't remember. So yeah, infrastructure projects, current and future, uh, makes a big difference. School zones. The real estate agent would be foolish not to know the school zones. So you need to ask them, is my property going to be affected by the school zones? Now, if you live in Sydney or Melbourne or Adelaide, one of the biggest cities, school zones make a massive, massive difference to your property price. So I went and saw a property recently that was literally 
two streets away from a particular school and was lucky enough to be in that school zone. That property was priced at about $400,000 to $500,000 more than the property that was kind of just five streets away because that was the border. Um, and, you know, parents of children are happy to pay that sort of money because they want to get their children into that particular school, mainly for public schools. But if it's near some very exclusive private schools, then it makes a big difference as well. So, huge issue in Melbourne and Sydney, and I'm sure it is across the country at the moment. Public transport options. You know, do they know if there's rail links coming? Do they know if roads coming, as we talked about for northeast links, so infrastructure? Shopping centre and car parks. You know, do they know that there's going to be a new shopping centre? Um, I know there's been new shopping centres in the eastern suburbs in Melbourne that have been expanded. Chatston is a great example. You know, do you really want to live in uh, Chatston where they're expanding these massive, you know, shopping centres that's going to just cause chaos in terms of traffic jams around your suburbs? But some people may say, well, hang on, living next to places like Chadston or Eastlands would be great because you've got access to shopping and, you know, that's great because that drives the economy. So again, you have to speak to your real estate agent. You need to ask them, do they know all these things? Medical and dental practices. I thought I might chip that in because I'm a doc. Access to good healthcare is really important. And, you know, if you are retiring, you need access to good healthcare. You want to live next to somewhere where you have easy access to healthcare, a GP practice or a specialist practice that's nearby. May not be on the top of the list, but certainly something to consider. And of course, if you're in a slightly on the younger side, you know, you want to look at restaurants. If you're a little bit hip, you want to look at the nightlife, all that sort of stuff. So it really depends on the your sort of demographics, depends on where you live and where you're selling your property and your target audience. The real estate agent really needs to know a lot about these things in the local area. And that's why if they live and work in the local area, it makes a massive difference. Now, what type of ads do they run? I briefly talked about that before. Online, paper, Facebook. I get a lot of ads on Facebook. A lot of real estate agents are very smart in doing social media campaigns, YouTube videos, 3D videos, walkthrough videos now you can do. Drone footage. Now, this sounds a little bit odd, but when I see a real estate ad that's got drone footage of that beautiful aerial shot of the estate or the property with the garden and the pool and the tennis court or whatever it is, I think that's that's gold. Uh, because it almost always catches my eye because I love getting that sort of aerial shot. And if you're looking for big land and you're looking at dimensions, I love aerial shots where they put that borders and they, you know, have a look at the, uh, sorry, they sort of mention the dimensions of width and the length of the particular land. Um, but I always use in Victoria, we have something called map share to compare it to the real dimensions, which is a free resource. You can just map share everything, which is fantastic. Um, I never believe the dimensions listed in the ad. I always look at the section 32 and always look at map share as well, just to make sure it all correlates. Okay. So marketing is extremely critical. The more eyes that are onto your property, the more buyers, which means likely more opportunities and higher prices. Okay. So these are all things the real estate agent, you must ask them and they need to know. If they're not providing you with the answers, it's a bit of a red flag. Now, does the real estate agent have an existing database of buyers? You know, for example, I get properties mailed, SMSed and phoned, sent to me. People call me. I had a call today from a real estate agent. It was very nice and said, look, there's another land that's going to come up in the next sort of week or so. Keep an eye out. Um, we're not selling it, but there's going to be another estate agent who's going to sell it. I thought I'd let you know, Devraga, because, you know, I know you're hunting at the moment. That's fantastic. I'm constantly interested. 
sometimes off-market properties too. My last one I bought was off-market. The estate agent will have a handful of properties they're working on at the same time as yours, so be aware. And they're also working on future upcoming properties as well. So, and make sure that they don't work for properties in direct competition to yours, um, because it makes complete less sense to hire such estate agents, even if the real estate company has multiple agents and one agent is selling one property and your agent is not selling that property, but it's the same real estate service. So you want to be a bit careful about trying to sell competing products, okay? And of course, lastly, the general feel. Never underestimate, I feel, the gut feeling. I call it the general feel. The first impressions count. Is there pressure? Are they applying pressure? Beware, that's a red flag. Is there a sense of hurry up? You know, you need to sell now or, you know, uh, you have a four-week time frame and this and that. Um, you know, is there opportunities to ask questions to your real estate agent and how readily willing are they to answer? Because, you know, if your property is worth about a million dollars, you're going to be paying, you know, potentially 2 to 4% in commission in terms of selling, maybe even less. But it's a lot of money. If you're spending 10000 to $20,000 in commission or a little bit higher, that's a lot of money to be able to, you know, what service are you getting in return for that? Often estate agents ask, um, are you intending to buy? Because you're selling, right? They want to sell you another property. Beware. You know, I, I wouldn't be selling my property with an estate agent who's also trying to sell me a property. Whose side is he on or she on? You know, this adds undue pressure, I think, and an estate agent has to be um, in your best interest. And like I said, most of them are. Um, but that's a conflict of interest right there if they're trying to sell you another property at the same time, okay? Most agents don't do this, but basically if you're selling your house, they know you're going to be buying somewhere. Um, my suggestion is go and buy somewhere out of your own accord or get a buyer's agent, etc. Um, so, you know, just, just be careful about that, that sort of question. You will get asked that question. So... That's the episode. Now, in summary, let's go through this. The cheapest option is not the best option. Selling a home can be a very emotional decision, so take your time. Commissions are important. Flat fee is usually better, depending on the property. There are not many out there. And think about the Genman approach. Um, do a bit of research on that. Um, there are a number of factors to be considered. Um, uh, don't be in a rush. And I think if you're selling your property, you need to sort of time the sale. Is it going to be in winter? Is it going to be in spring? Spring seems to be the best time to sell properties for most of the year because the weather's good, everyone's happy, it's heating up. Uh, whereas you don't want to be selling a property at 40 degrees summer weather, really. Um, and you don't want to be selling a property when it's, um, you know, raining and miserable in winter. I just feel that a lot more properties come up in the spring market. How many estate agents should you quiz or interview? before selecting the best one that applies to you? Um, look, there's no right or wrong answer. In my general view, I think three is a good number. Three is actually a very good number when you're comparing anything. If you're wanting to buy a TV, for example, you know, I'd compare three TVs. If you're buying a car, compare three cars. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're, if you're selling your home, it's your one and only home, you wanna get the best price. You wanna be able to compare the real estate agents and hopefully you get three different people to to come and have a look at it and provide you with some advice. But before you do that, before you sort of select those three agents, I would actually attend the open for inspections that they're currently holding and see how you're received. See if they do that follow-up call. Of course, don't tell them that you're going to sell your property, but um, analyse their behaviour, analyse their ad campaign, analyse their professionalism, 
analyze their email response times, analyze their SMS, analyze their phone call response times. Because all of this means that if they're doing excellent service to you and you're kind of, you know, testing them out, it's likely that when you select them as your agent to sell your property, they're going to go through the same effort. Um, And when I talk to real estate agents, there are some of them with just absolute passion. They just love doing their job. They know exactly how to sell property. Whereas there are some other ones who basically get frustrated and get too arrogant. So um, it's really important. Sorry, there's a bit of a truck going past here. Um, Really important to attend their own inspections before you sort of select those three people and then, you know, discuss with your family or friends as to what the best option would be for you. And don't underestimate the general feel. So that's it for this episode, episode 60. Thank you very much for the support and thank you again to um, Cohen Nguyen who suggested this topic. Um, I'm open for suggestions. I know a couple of you already have and I'm working on further episodes, so thank you very much. Um, and uh, it's really important to, um, you know, participate in the financial world and sign up to the Facebook group if you're interested. And of course, thank you very much for listening to this podcast and thank you very much for the support, the comments. Uh, that's been fantastic. Now, remember, I'm not a financial advisor, um, you know, so this is for financial education. If you're looking for financial advice, please don't do random decisions based on this podcast episode. Go and speak to your accountant or lawyer or financial planner or advisor. Get some advice from people who are recognized and credentialed. Who am I? Just a random doctor trying to do my best to learn personal finances myself. And in the process, hopefully you're learning as well. Until next time, this is DevRaka Personal Finance, episode 60. Remember, pay yourself first, invest, reinvest dividends, do it for the long term, and always automate it. And as always, stay safe. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.